Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Team Human is an ad-free community effort supported by real people like James Bravin, Arrow Smith, Alice Stewart, Tom Locke, and Jill Campbell. Join them and me and the rest of the team by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. You'll get access to our Discord channel, live salons, free admission to live events, and our Team Human team feed with special interviews, talks, and rare conversations. Thanks a lot. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, an opportunity to rise to the occasion of being our true selves together. No fear, no missing out. A space so safe we can think and act as dangerously as we dare and still find ourselves alive and in love when we're done. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, my most daring virtual companion, mentor, and friend, the author of Your Money or Your Life and Blessing the Hands That Feed Us, Vicki Robin. You know, reality is malleable. Every moment of every day, we're generating a worldview, and we can just change our minds and change the world. Vicki's going to explain what it means to be a town crier today and how to maintain our friendships and basic civil interdependence healthy, no matter how hot the topic. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. So how are you all doing? Been a, it's been a hard few weeks for me. A lot of family illness and just awful stuff going on. Uh, human suffering is really, boy, I mean, my, my traditional way of dealing with the pain of others, I realized, has been to kind of put up boundaries of a sort. I mean, I'm not really good with boundaries anyway. I let everybody in all the time too much. But when someone's in pain or something's going on and I kind of wince, I I erect this kind of a boundary. It's like, okay, I objectify them, right? There they are. They're in pain. What can I do to help? Can I get the medicine? Can I relieve them? Can I, can I do something? What can I do? And somehow that approach to other people's pain and suffering or discomfort, whether it's someone right in the room or someone who got shot on TV or people dying of COVID or people in a disaster or whatever, uh, the, the effect of trying to distance it or objectify it is that there's kind of this residue that that stays with me. This, the, I'll be sleepless about it. It keeps going. I keep churning and wondering, and and I've started to do something different, which is actually when when someone's in pain or suffering or dying or anything, is to to open up completely to what they're experiencing. It's like. Um, Maybe this is what they meant by compassion, only I didn't, I didn't realize that. It's not to feel sorry for them or to look 
at them, but to be with, totally with it, if anything, to let my body and mind and psyche and everything uh, uh, kind of metabolize what they're going through with them to serve really rather than to, to, to insulate myself from their nervous system to become an extension of their nervous system. And even that sounds a little too technical, a little too intellectual. It's really just opening up to the whole thing. Don't stop breathing when you're with them and get tight, but rather breathe it all in. Really breathe it. Let the biggest flywheel in your body just kind of go with that momentum. And it's different. It's, it's, it's not like it's pleasurable, but it's not as painful. It's more a feeling of bearing witness to what is going on, bearing full witness, not averting my gaze or looking down or wincing, but opening up to the whole thing. And being really there with it as it's happening. And then when I go and, and leave and then have to go online to go do something or teach a class or or do this monologue right now even, the residue's not there. The the memory's not there. At least not not memory in the sense of, of the the trauma. You know, I'm not in a state of echo trauma now um, that I've experienced and metabolized all that stuff I was going through. And that's when I realized that I've had the the privilege of being with a a number of different people in their in their last moments, you know, at their bedside as they as they passed. And I always experienced that as this tremendous honor, you know, this this privilege, this blessing, this this what in Judaism we call a mitzvah, which is like a commandment, but it's it's the commandment to do this uh, deeply honorable and honored and uh, a privileged blessing to bear witness, to bear witness to someone's passing, to to be there through the transition, to hold their hand as they move from here to wherever the next place is, if there's any place at all, and to experience the honor of that. So what, what I'm trying to do now as things get, you know, weirder and worser in some ways, you know, I guess maybe COVID is ending and we're going to get out soon, but I feel like there's, there's, ever more layers on the weirdness, on the madness, the the confusion and all. And I feel like the one way to ground is to really be with it, is to let it swirl, is to metabolize it rather than looking the other way. You know, just get in the dance with it. You know, animals, interestingly enough, I, I just found out, animals relieve themselves of trauma by kind of shaking it off, like 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 Taylor Swift would say, right? They shake it off. They they move. They'll, they'll, something weird will happen to them, and then they'll walk away, and they'll just like do this weird. Blah, blah, blah. Um, humans, we don't really do that anymore. We we used to. We used to have sort of ecstatic dance rituals, maybe once a week, you know, or at the full moon, and we would have these these movements or shaking or something to to metabolize the trauma. We don't really do that, so we we need to, you know. Know, breathe or do yoga or tai chi or gosh when when certainly when covid goes away but maybe alone in your house even let's do collective rave dances and ecstatic trance rituals let's you know let's let's process this let's process it i mean that's i guess what i'm trying to say is that i'm finding some at least limited success right now by diving in rather than avoiding you know really experiencing everything that's going on around me and and doing it on a on a physical soul level even if i don't really understand why why people are doing what or saying what to whom and it may not be more sane, it may not be more just, but it's certainly less traumatic, and it definitely opens an experiential portal to what it is that I think Team Human has meant all along.
I've been meaning to catch up with my good friend and former Team Human guest Vicky Robin, but just couldn't make time for a phone call with all that's been going on in and around me lately. But I figured if I booked it as a Team Human conversation, I'd just have to make the time. And I'm sure glad I did. Vicky is smart, sensible, loving, and wise in the most casual, connected, and humble way. I always feel better about our shared disaster after we talk, and I hope you do too. I'm frustrated, and I feel like I share a frustration with you as an optimistic, idealistic, people, planet, nature, loving human. I get so quickly discouraged and and downtrodden by different things. I'll just hear a fact and get like, oh, really? That many people believe this? Or I'll see something that you'll say like, oh, there's this preacher who's saying that the forest fires were started by BLM. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And Antifa (laughs) Antifa attacked the Capitol. And people are sacrificially going to jail. Right. In, in order to prove the Republicans, in order to get rid of Trump, which I think is quite noble. Right, right, right. So the Antifa members, right, attacked the Capitol, pretending they were Republicans, <laughs> and now we're going to jail as fake Republicans. <laughs> and we like to think it's so big, it's so it's so national, but even right here in my little town, right, people got very upset because New York State opted into marijuana legalization, right? So when New York when when they made marijuana legal, they uh, gave all the towns have a opportunity to opt out of allowing dispensaries within their town limits. And the board of trustees of our town in a very contested split decision ended up opting in saying, no, we won't protest. We're not going to have a dispenser here anytime soon. There's no room for it. There's no parking. There's nothing. They'll zone it, you know, out into the, 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 the boondocks if there's any space for it. But it got people very upset. And all of a sudden I'm seeing there was a, a, a decision that was made that they didn't like. And then the first place they go is, the democratic process has been corrupted by this group of people. They're hand selecting. They're being they're being bribed. You know, all of a sudden, it's like people's understanding of democracy has changed to the point where, if, if anything, and this is both sides, if anything is decided differently than they believe, it must mean there's a systemic problem, right? There's a corruption. Yeah, we have a group of students that's been organized, been inspired by Greta Thunberg, you know, it's mm-hmm. like United Students Alliance or something like that. And they got a resolution passed through the school board to teach ethnic studies and the right went crazy. And they created a, a protest outside the school against critical race theory. It was really interesting because I had to really study critical race theory and I can't even get it. And so I don't even think those people get it. You know, it took a long time to really understand, which is the kind of arcane discipline. And, and they had one sign that said, reading and writing and arithmetic. And I thought, Jesus Christ, you know, we're back in like, you know, slates and one room schoolhouses, you know, just enough to be able to do calculations. It's like, are we not teaching history? And so it was just, it was like, I think, you know, what I say to myself, oh, and, but the students organized a counter protest with their adult allies. So there were 50 people approximately outside the school and the students, you know, like juniors in high school imposed rigid, you know, very, you know, mostly uh, adhered to rules to the adults, 300 people, you know, and and we have a town of a thousand people, you know, so, you know, there were people from South Whidbey, 300 people showed up, they were quiet, they didn't heckle most, by and large, Uh We, we were so good, we let the students lead, and we stepped back, you know, what I say to myself, if I believed what these people believe, I would behave the way they behave, right. you know? So I think a lot of it is the information they're getting. And when you take a look at it, it's total mirror images. I stopped being able to watch the brilliant and funny Rachel Maddow because she sounded intonation, just like uh, Hannity. 
it's the intonation. It's interesting because I do the, um, I was just saying uh, to my, my friend Jamie on this very show that I've been the last couple of months, I've been going back and forth between the two of them during that nine o'clock hour on the East coast. Cause they're both at the same time. And while I agree more with Rachel Maddow's politics and, and I love that she's using facts, the, the, the comportment of yep. both of them is the same. And then that comportment seems to train in me the same thing, no matter which, whether I'm listening to someone I agree with or someone I don't, it, it creates a kind of a stiffness in me, a, a rigidity, a brittleness, uh, and I can see it and feel it. And I know what I must look like. The eyes probably glaze over and I get, Argh! and it's like that state is not a good state or not a good, a good posture from which to engage with people or engage with civics. No, I just, I'm writing a blog post uh-huh. that's called um, Recovering from COVID-itis. <laughs> COVID-itis, a reactive condition affecting the muscles of the brow, jaw, shoulders, and stomach, sometimes accompanied by a Tourette's-like explosiveness of language, often at a computer screen, sometimes when no one is there. COVIDitis seems to be a brain infection that enters through the eyes or ears. Most scientists believe it's all in your mind and therefore recommend SSRIs, which in fact have been found to reduce the impact of the disease called COVID. Preconditions for COVIDitis are a sense of political hopelessness, a diet of incendiary news, passionate feelings about the former president of the United States, and passionate feelings about his return to office, and a breakdown in family relations due to the above three conditions. So, you know, it's just that's really what we're suffering from. Since COVIDitis is remarkably linked to politics, see a physician who shares your political views but does not suffer from COVIDitis. Extreme caution for physicians. Undertake news quarantine for four days, 14 days before seeing patients. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Have all patients put on a lab gown to avoid triggering T-shirts. After a week, if you experience any symptoms of COVIDitis, return to quarantine for three days and eliminate media, eliminate media from your diet. Explain to patients that they have entered a highly infectious year of midterm elections, so they must uh, do the following to get well. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> on and on it goes. It's it's sad, but it's it's painfully true. It is, and it's uh, it's anybody, you know. And this, it, it's funny. It goes all the way back. I remember um, when Trump first got elected president. I remember Dana Boyd, uh, media theorist, uh, computer data. She runs Data and Society, and she wrote this piece that everyone got mad about, where she was saying this isn't a problem of not enough media literacy. In some ways, this is a problem of too much. That everybody is watching television, deconstructing everything. And I mean, maybe I, it, in some ways, I mean, I guess a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, you know. But you know, when you apply critical thinking uncritically, you get QAnon. I don't think that's, I don't think that's it. So my piece, should I read the whole thing, which I'm not going to do. What my, my insight was this morning is that liberals respect the mind and distrust the gut. Right. And conservatives trust the gut and the heart and distrust the mind. So we are actually in a tower of Babel where Somebody said, I don't care about your facts. I just feel it. And we're going like, no, no, that's not okay. That's not how we do it, you know? And, 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 but, but the thing is, is that I can see from the conservatives point of view, and this isn't rabid, this is, you know, maybe really reasonable conservatives. I can see a suspicion of godless people, the people who do not refer their choices to a higher power. This is why I think AA can tolerate all political points of view because everybody's sort of snark has been identified as part of their sickness and everybody has committed to, I'm going to surrender to the God of my understanding and it doesn't have to be Christian or Buddhist or whatever. It's just, and so I think that we, we need to liberals, you know, 
it's not that we're wrong. It's not that we're the coastal elites and we shouldn't have gone to college or graduate school or speak in polysyllabic words. Yeah. It is that we are afraid of speaking from the heart. Well, yeah, even though even academics are, though, you know, and I'm an old liberal arts humanities guy and all the other liberal arts humanities people I know, they're all trying to make their liberal art into some kind of a STEM compliant social science. So, you know, even media studies is kind of like everything is numbers and digital humanities and how many thous are there in Macbeth versus Hamlet as if, you know what I mean? As if the answers to humanities questions are to be found in those numbers, because that's what happened to the left. We got so rigid and, and Marx sorry, was not about the numbers and rigidity. Marx was about the social relations between the human beings. Totally. I mean, you read Marx, you know, you read Marx, you read, you read him in an English class. He's, I mean, or whatever literature class. It's, it's, it's poetry, what he's writing. It's, it's humanism. Right, right, right. Team human, the human, you know, the heart. I think there needs to be a huge amount of compassion for the people who are furious with you that they are frightened. You know, I am standing in front of somebody who is frightened of me. Right. Or frightened of a vaccine. There's a vaccine and everyone's saying, take this thing. They're frightened of the vaccine. Their fear then opens them up to weirdness. Like, oh, Bill Gates is putting nanobots in this vaccine to put you on social media or whatever. But it's also because the side that's telling them to take the vaccine is villainizing them and making totally. any of their fear into superstition. So part of my COVIDitis little, you know, antidote article is basically saying who is that person's audience of one? In other words, who are they speaking to to show that they are compliant with a worldview? It's like these are sort of deconstruction questions. You could come up with a dozen of them, you know, or two dozen, or you know, these are questions to deconstruct the narration, but just saying, okay, so. Who says, you know, who benefits if I believe this? And you start to open up that space. I forget what I called it earlier. You know, it's a, it's a space of sanity. But the space of sanity that you're talking about is a space of open uncertainty, the way the world really is. And it feels like so many people are like, yeah. Uh, we're right. Uh, uh. It's like that. It's like a, an, I remember the early kind of almost punk, self righteous. And I get it when I was an adolescent. The government is bad, you know. And and but both both sides, all sides. And that's why Trump is right when he keeps talking about both sides. It's almost like or Trump is honest. He's like. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to get dumb people to believe it. I mean, he's been open about everything. He says, I was actually a Democrat. I had to become Republican because they were the only ones stupid enough to believe this mythology I was going to do. I was going to, <laughs> and he spoke about it. He's honest. I'm going to lie here and watch how it works. And, and it's almost like Trump is like a modern Bernays in that way. Like, you know, public relations and, and, mm. and just, I'm going to just do it, but he's doing open. <sighs> But it's it's engendering such uh, uh, oddly enough, it's what you're describing is conformity. It's like looking for where does my thing fit? So I've got my my team, my my side, you know, I'll tell you, I have resolutely decided I am not getting I'm not investing any emotions in anything that I have where I have no agency, which might be everything, but at least. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a decision maker. So what I've decided to do is I'm writing letters to the editor of my local paper, you know, mm. from Whidbey Islands, you know, 65,000 people, very red state, blue state, very divided. And I'm just doing common sense homilies. So I have one that is that's in the pipeline that's saying, you know, I had a friend who was a nurse who said, you know, you get sick because of a pathogen and a suitable host. And so I was like, wow, what is a suitable host? What makes me suitable? And so 
I go back, you know what? I think my mom was right. You know, my mother was like a complete, <laughs> she was like a completely, <laughs> you know, sort of emotionally absent mother. You know, I don't even think what I'm saying is true, or maybe it was close to true. But, you know, we took our multivitamins, every, you know, our one a day vitamin. I had to go, I walked to school, I had to get fresh air, you mm-hmm. know, and if I had a sniffle, she'd give me those vile nose drops and she'd add some elderberry. And, yeah. you know, I just am doing the whole list. But I'm doing it in a narrative because everybody has moms. And so it's just like I'm trying to find ways. Like, for example, I I wrote, a, I don't know if you remember, I wrote a book about local food and I'm really mm-hmm. a big relocalization, local resilience, survivalist, you know. <laughs> Sovereignty is my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, not the same. Not, not, uh, 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 you're not an aquapreneur, you know, it's a different <laughs> kind of sovereignty, right? You're not, you're obsessed with finding a blockchain for Native American lands to no, steal their, yeah, no. exactly. Oh, God, that's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're working in our local food system because I'm really connected with the farmers, and there's regulations that come out of the industrial system that are right. suppressing our farmers. Right. So That's what I, for. I wrote a yeah. letter to the editor about that, you know, and I sent it to the county commissioners, basically to take the take regulations off the back of our local farmers. And I realized food is a bridge issue. I mean, not like impossible meat or whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we have ranchers here who grow meat. They, you know, the cow, the cow grows the meat. They just yeah. harvest it. But I've decided I think I'm going to like shift over a bit more to this local food issue or or food sovereignty, local business. They're local businessmen. You know, my, the guy who provides my beautifully grown pastured meat is a is quite libertarian. I mean, I think farmers are sort of almost naturally libertarian. Well, right, because they've they've witnessed firsthand how regulations made by big agra are created to push them out of the industry. That's totally. what regulation is for. Yeah. So I think that, you know, if we're opening up this idea of a sanity space, mm-hmm. you know, not left or right, not up or down, but sane, <laughs> I think there's things you can engage in in the sanity space that build a sort of an atmosphere of trust. And then from the atmosphere of trust, you can at least be curious. Right. And I feel like that's on the local level and can potentially trickle up to the national or scaled level. The problem is we're in the reverse. So right now it's like you've got you know, maybe maybe AOC has one understanding of regulation is to prevent the pollution of big, bad companies. But to a rancher that you're talking about, regulation is the way that big agra corruptly keeps them out of the industry. So then they hear AOC talking about climate and they're like, she does. She's part of the Soros regulatory framework that's here to get me. <laughs> and in a way, he's right. So so the problem is that that. We've got to somehow help the national politicians be part of the trickle up of our you know, frameworks of trust and local resilience up to them rather than taking their brittle, polarized, binary uh, uh, styles of, of interaction and let them trickle down to the way we locally try to interact with each other. I have a friend who's like very well-known environmental communicator and and he's you know he's been doing a brilliant job for like 40 years about trying to explain to people that we're going off a cliff Mm -hmm. you know and using numbers and things like that and he's come to the conclusion that a problem a big problem is you can talk, talk 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 but people do not have skin in the game we're on the bleachers. And, and what he's trying to do is get people off the bleachers and into the game called surviving <laughs> human pollution, the pollution of the human mind. And so what creates skin in the game? I think that, you know, what's happening is that people who are falling off the bottom because of, because of, you know, trade deals and all that stuff, they've got skin in the game, but we don't. 
privileged people really, you know, maybe, you know, like you vote for Trump because you want his tax breaks, but that's not skin in the game. That's not a threat. And, and so I think that in a way, the local is a place where people have skin in the game. Like your reputation matters. If you go off on someone, <laughs> you know, it's going to take you a while to get back in good graces. And there's something about that accountability, the scale of accountability that I think is a piece of this picture. I don't know how to scale that up. I really, years ago, I, you know, you remember who Danella Meadows is? No. Um, Danella Meadows, Danella and Dennis Meadows and, and Jürgen Ronders did the uh, 1974 Club of Rome report. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was yeah. a, you know, major, major. She had a newspaper column that went out all over the country called Global Citizen. So she was a major thinker on this question of sustainability and systems. She was a systems thinker and she was a, she taught systems at MIT, as did her husband, Dennis. Somebody I was teaching alongside her and somebody asked, do you have hope? And she said, when I look at people, I am full of hope. When I look at institutions, I am hopeless. And yet people disempower themselves and think we need an institution on that. You know, it's a funny thing. I don't know, Douglas, I don't know my way out of this. <laughs> I really don't. And I work on it. <laughs> yeah. No, and you've been working on it longer. I mean, you might, your solutions of 20, 30 years ago and the, the local war and all that might have been the right ones. You know, that might that might have been the 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 path, you know, that we if finally returned to. Listen to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then only we wouldn't be in this. Yeah, they, they needed to see for themselves. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they would oh have a schmear for the bagels, I, I promise. <laughs> a schmear of organic schmear. An organic schmear for their bagel. Right. Uh, but no, I, I I do think it's that. I, I and honestly, if major systems break down, then they're going to be depending on each other anyway, what, however it goes. Right. When that's my thing. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I've, I've just drunk the Kool-Aid on we're going down. I just, somebody told me recently <laughs> about the Thwaites glacier. Do you know about the Thwaites glacier? Yeah, I heard it's breaking yeah, down. I heard five years. Five years. No, it was supposed to be supposed to have to the end of the century to like imagine it way in the future. But now the smart scientists looked and said, this looks like it's coming off like within the next five years. Right. So the first thing I did when I saw that announcement, right, this glacier is going to come off the thing in five years. The water level is going to go up by like nine feet, like instantly. I'm thinking. What would you, what should that. Fact do to Miami Beach real estate. So I looked right away. I looked at Miami Beach real estate. They're still selling an $11 million house on the beach. I saw it. The price didn't change. Their asking price didn't change for the fact that it's only going to be there for five years. So, and those, as the way I see it, those are business people, right? There's someone with $11 million, right? right. And insurance companies that insure something for $11 million. Exactly. So they have more money than me. So they must be smarter than me. So how are they doing that? Why are they doing this? Are they, What is going on? I think our minds have been trained in a sort of they're going to handle this mentality because we have grown up in a period of time when they have happened, how handled it. Oh, by the way, just going over to another topic about um, don't look up the movie. Yeah. Which I thought <laughs> you know, was wonderful. And, and, yeah. And the, the final scene, and this is not like somebody turns to somebody else. We're not going to give away the story right. and, and says, I'll give you a billion dollars to buy me a house. And the guy says, I have, I'll give you 2 billion. Don't forget. We're all billionaires. <laughs> you know, it's like the strategies for buying your way out of something. Mm. Or, you know, if I build in a in an alluvial fan and I get flooded, so what? The insurance will pay for me to build, rebuild in the same place. In other right. words, no skin in the game. 
No right, there is no skin because they figure, and even if the insurance company can't afford it, then the government or Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or someone will bail out the insurance company. And who's that coming off is is the, the middle class. The proletariat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I was going to say, you know, the thing that I've computed <laughs> is that it, it's not funny, really. But I live in a seaside village that is basically there's a hillside going down to the water. So right. I live up on the hill. Oh, good. So you compute. It could be like 30 feet easily. I mean, 10 feet. We're going to lose First Street. Hopefully right. only the north side of First Street, because on the south side, it's a movie theater. You know, so it's like uh, humans just will adapt. We're 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 like... Like yeah. bacteria, you know, it's like, okay, 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 okay. So we lost the, the pizza parlor, but we still have the movie theater. Right. Well, we just go inland. It's like you lose Disneyland, but you still got Salt Lake City or whatever, you know. Exactly. I mean, how are you uh how are you breathing through this right now? How are you dealing with it kind of spiritually and emotionally? I've had to do a lot of work on that, a lot. Of work on that because I was, you know, basically since Standing Rock, mm. I've had my body has been charged, you know, increasingly with anger and frustration mm. and and disbelief and horror and indignation and and just things that are, you know, like in the balance of emotional responses to the world. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you can be indignant, but that was, I was, I was like getting filled up with it and people would say, Oh, you never seem angry, Vicky. I said, well, I, I got a good cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I decided I have to work on this. I can't do anything else but work on it. And my first breakthrough was, um, I suddenly wanted to tell you all my service, you know, all the things that I've worked on that hadn't worked out, you know, how the military trumped, you know, 4,000 citizens, you know, <laughs> begging them to not blast out our eardrums. But anyway, I realized the sentence, I can accept the unacceptable, not because it's acceptable, but because it is that my mind is fighting with reality. Hmm. You know, I can be right in terms of the issues, but that sends me out of peace. And if I'm out of peace, I can't even think I am thinking with such a narrow band. Right. So that started me on this path of acceptance. And it's sort of like acceptance is the beginning and the end and the middle of the path. It's, you know, acceptance is our, you know, it's that that ring on the subway, you know, that we used to have, you know, it's just the train is going, but you're, you know, you've yeah. got this acceptance thing. And it's also that decision to only invest myself emotionally in places where I have some agency, some decisional power. And if I don't have that, what am I expending my one wild and precious life, my beautiful mind, my lovely mm. heart? Why am I expending it on things that I have no capacity to influence and facing, you know, we were brought, brought up, you know, we can change the world. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're the same generation. We were brought up on not only agency, but that by the time we die, this whole thing is just going to be like exactly beautiful. And we invested ourselves in on that premise. You know, reality is malleable. Every moment of every day, we're generating a worldview and we can just change our minds and change the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I <laughs> was, that is more mother's milk than mother's milk for me. Right. Is it wrong? On acid, it sure seems right, but <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, then we, then you get trapped in, if I were pure enough, my thoughts right. would change right. the world. That's the reverse of magical thinking. If only I were pure enough, this fake medicine would work on I me. I think that yeah. the, one of the critical things that, that we missed in our generation is the word we. I find that when I mm. think individually about my capacity to change the world, I can just go off the rails instantly. Right. When I think in terms of we, 
that I am part of an ecology of humanity that has, you know, a million species of thoughts. And so I need to be in a relational field, not in a willful field. And that's slower and harder, you know, and it takes. So, I mean, that's not my big insight. The big insight is that the presumption of influence, you know, that I sit here at my keyboard and I just like, you know, I've worn off the L, the C, the V and the M, just like pounding things out. And and I have to really ask, you know, what really? What really have I changed? So I gave up Facebook because I realized that I would get up in the morning, I would not I would not verify links that I shared. I would go like, that sounds right. Uh, and I want everybody to think about yeah. it. Yeah. Off it goes. I, you know, and my mind was like in a jitter of episodic thoughts. I was, they were not stringing themselves together. I was like, I had a different mind mm. and I was, I was expending a lot of energy in writing these screeds that, you know, three people would like, and I would think, Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, So I just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to invest my beautiful mind and my <laughs> beautiful words in crafting things and getting them up the food chain of the social sphere so that somebody with decisional powers can plagiarize. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all we really want. I know. I keep trying to tell that to people when, when they're, they, they get quoted without attribution. It's like, that's the beautiful thing. Your name is just dead weight. You know, it doesn't exactly. matter. You want the meme to spread. But you, that was your history. That's the 70s and 80s for you is publishing, you know, it is super important books on economics, on 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 food, on on local sense making. I mean, that's that that have ideas that we've all cribbed. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. And thank you for cribbing. <laughs> <laughs> Steal this book. You remember? Yeah, you go. yeah. but it made sense. It made sense. Well, because totally it like, makes sense. Right. Yeah. I am trying to at the same time, I'm trying to accept the scope of my influence mm. at this time in history, not in the nineties when I was like the New York times would call me once a week, you know, yeah. it's now. a lot harder now to have that same level of influence, right? Totally. It's a different world. I'm accustomed to it and it's not here. And that's just what's so, and mm. I am older. And so it's tough to get, over myself, you know, like mm. the sense that I was 20 years ahead, you know, I could just point to things where <sighs> we would be saying something. And then, you know, 20 years later, a politician would steal it, you know, and like, ha ha ha, I said it first, or second, probably Ben Franklin said it first, yeah. but you know, or, or Mark Thoreau. Twain or someone. Yeah. But, um, no, I know I have the same thing when I look at, oh my God, now they finally caught up to my book, Present Chakra. Now they're finally saying what I said and throwing rocks to Google, but it's like, oh, you know, pat myself on the back. And it's like, well, a lot of good that is, you know, and, and, right. Get over, get over my friggin' self. Now I'm sorry, Douglas. We really, we're just off the cock of sitting on a bench. No, we're not just though, but the, this, this going back to this notion of acceptance. And I, I'm concerned that, that people might hear it as, Surrender. And it, it, it is surrender in the Buddhist sense, but it's not surrender in the I accept it that you're giving up. It's not, you know, there's this moment that I, I remember from when I was a little kid, the first time I watched like Wild Kingdom. Remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and the, the cheetah would run and they would jump on the, the gazelle would run and run and run and run and kick and scream and kick and scream. But then there's this moment when the gazelle stops resisting. It's alive. And you see in its eyes that it goes, oh. I'm being eaten now. And it just, and it gives into it. That's not the acceptance that you're talking about here of like, oh, fuck. It's something else. It's, it's when I, as I've been doing this healing, I'm not going to say when I, then I, you know, right. but as I've been doing this healing, I realized that my, the fire in my mind, the clenching in my mind is relaxing. Mm. And I am actually, I, I've chosen to do this because I am not seen broadly enough, you know, and that I, 
as I say, this is a zone of sanity. It's not the middle way or something like that. I'm trying to enter a zone of sanity. So I am able to see the landscape. I mean, this is my podcast, you know, Mm. like cultural scouts. I'm trying to be able to see the landscape and see in this moment, where are the opportunities? What can I speak into where there's a listening? You know, it's sort of like we're living in a beast, a raging beast that is irritated. I mean, we're living in something that's like the bull that has, you know, 20 little picador, you know, yeah. in, Banderas in it. In its and back. it's yeah. still raging. It feels the, so it's that, that our society feels that way. And so how can I, you see, I have a sort of, it's almost like a maternal feeling, like a, you know, loving feeling. How can I, how can I gentle this child down? So it stops hurting itself. Right. That's the feeling I have. And so it's, it's more subtle. It's more ordinary. It does not satisfy a major part of myself that enjoys being extraordinary. I, I really do. <laughs> I know. I was raised to try to be that. Yeah. It's, it's um, and I can't say that I'm succeeding. This is just my, my current experiment because, you know, like, like, Americans are just, we're just sort of blunt. We just sort of walk in the room and start like, you know, saying what we think and expecting people, you know, we're like that guy in the checkered suit, you know, with the blazing tie. And and I can fix that. I'll fix that. I can do that. Harold Hill, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Indigenous societies, you know, or older societies are much more relational. They want to understand what they're stepping into. Not, you know, to like, oh, okay, now I got it. I'm going to manipulate the situation so that it works yeah. out my way. But it's it's the preserving of relationships is like 90% of the game. Then you got a relationship and then you've got like, you can just drop one little thing into mm. a relationship. And it's if, if it's soft enough. If it's soft enough. That's the interesting thing. And everything is so brittle and unsoft. It's really hard to operate in that way. But I've gone through a similar transition. And it's funny, I haven't really spoken with anyone about it, but it's um, I've had a very different experience of what I've started to call compassion, because I'm thinking this might, might be what compassion is. But it's like, not looking like there's people in my life and around me and and at all distances who are in pain or having a problem or struggling. And my first thing is always like, oh, I'm going to go in and solve that. I'm going to be the one who fixes it. Oh, I get credit for it too, maybe. But, you know, but what, or I create, I see the person in pain or whatever, and I create a kind of a mental, emotional boundary between myself and them. So I can look at their pain, but hold back so I can then just go work on something of my own and not be totally affected by it. And I've instead, I've opened myself completely mm-hmm. to it when I'm with whoever's in pain, whatever they're going through, whatever I'm seeing as a kind of, I, it, it, it's true stoicism. It's like really breathing it, really being so fully with the person's pain, with the person when they're dying, which I've been with a bunch. And you, you take it in fully and then in a weird way, there's no residue. There's no, it's just, Mm. you're there. It's like, you're moving through the weather of, of it. And you, you experience it so fully that when you move on from it, then you experience that thing fully and the next thing fully. So I'm trying not to resist this crazed bull moment that we're in, but all right. But, but like the best rodeo guy there ever was flexibly ride this bull Mm -hmm. where it's going and feel it. And wow. And, you know, rather than resisting, which is where all the friction and all the pain seems to come from. And yet it's not disengaged. See, that's the thing. No, it's not some intellectual Ken Wilber like systems theory distance from the thing, you know, it's, (laughs) I don't have a chart for it. Right. It's immersed. It's more immersed. We can't talk about the right quadrant or which quadrant. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, 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 years ago I knew, uh, and he's still alive, um, a, um, 
a Buddhist activist from, he would call it Siam, not Thailand, because, because uh-huh. it's, you know, for him, it's Siam. And he, he uh, Sulak Sivadaksa, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Sulak is, is I, my joke about Sulak is he can tell the Dalai Lama what to do and the Dalai Lama listens. <laughs> I've seen him doing that, you know. And so he, he created something he calls engaged Buddhism. I don't know if he's the first guy in it, but, you know, he's definitely an early person. And um, like one of the things we did was um, he realized that trees are sacred in Siam, Thailand. And so loggers, um, what he realized is that they're sacred and loggers are traditional people. And so what he decided to do was ordain trees. And so we had these ordination rituals and we would, we would tack onto the tree, the little medallion that, that is the ordination. And so the alagers would not be willing to cut down the trees. And that's just one of his capers, mm. you know? And so he was, he, it, because the thing is also that you get to do is you understand the way I understand is that every giant has a blind side, you know, and that you can get in the blind side of the giant and you can run the giant. You can say, the giant is walking toward you. He said, walk toward me. The giant goes, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. You're trying to trick me. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like you can play with people who are single-mindedly on their own agenda. Right. You know, like Sulak did, you know, well, we're all ordained trees. I mean, he's done many things (laughs) like that. So what are the capers that we can create that works Mm. with the energy? It's like Aikido, you know. I love it, though. But it's like Paul Krasner Aikido. You know what I mean? It's exactly Frankster Aikido. Exactly. Abby Hoffman. Yeah. (laughs) We're back there throwing dollar bills off of the, the mezzanine. Yeah. But I like it. But but, you know, the the Abby Hoffman original prankster Paul Krasner fake news thing led to the there's more playfulness in the alt right now than there is in the left. I mean, then their play is working. You know, the stuff that they do as a joke becomes real pretty fast. I mean, they're having all the fun. They're having festivals and they're having, you know, music and they're having church services and standing up and, you know, praising yeah. the Lord. And, and wearing horns here. and fur and stuff. I mean, I know. I love the fur. <laughs> no, but they like took the best of Burning Man and, and stormed <laughs> the Capitol with it, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're such. You know, we become quite priggish, you know, yes. in reaction to the people who've claimed the hedonic space. We're yes. sort of all straight laced. We're the temperance un- unit, Trent temperance union. I know, which is never the side you want to be on. It's like Tipper Gore kind of started this, I think, way back when, when she was concerned about violence in video games. And it's like, we've never recovered. We- <laughs> I Douglas, so what what are we going to do about this? I think we're doing it. That's the thing. I think we're doing it. This is not useless. This is, you know, loving, directed conversation, sharing of strategies. And then we share it with the whatever 100,000 people that listen to this and participate in our discord and find solidarity and rapport. You know, we're rebuilding civilization before it's even completely gone. Right. We've begun the rebuilding. <laughs> well, XR. XR is actually yeah. the their use of theater. Mm-hmm. And the they have a lightness of spirit, the ones that yeah. I've seen, the leaders. And there could be, you know, stealth testimony <laughs> at the county <laughs> commissioners, you know. <laughs> It's just, it's like, that's the thing about my letters to the editor campaign, you know, which is just be stealth, just walk into the spaces that are not occupied. That's why I think local food or agroecology or small scale farming is a space that is not occupied yet. Yeah. Same with micro local papers. They're all gone. We could start them up again, you know? Right. Well, Axios is doing that. Right. Well, but we do have a paper still. We had two papers. Now we have one, but we still have something. And I'm thinking of like, you know, 
that's like letters to the editor. Maybe I can have a column or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, we can't. And I'm working with a group in my village called the Climate Crisis Action Committee constituted by our city council. So we have officiality and we're talking about, you know, how do we, you know, how do we do things today? So the people in 2050 will flourish you know, that they, they may thank us, you know, if we put, you know, like little medallions on all the trees, you know, but, but, or may not, but not like let's make people wrong and work harder because we're trying to scare them. Right. But how do we, like, I thought, I thought of, of doing this thing, put, putting on a costume. I don't think I'd do it. Maybe I'll do it. Putting on a costume, <laughs> you know, sort of like a Greek chorus costume, and 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 putting a sign out in front in my town called the town crier mm. and i'm weeping and it's just like ask me why i'm crying mm. and i have all these like you know cards that i give people i'm crying because of this and i'm crying because of that so it's the town crier crier <laughs> you know think no no it's great. You know what i mean but it's like i do you know what are the capers yeah. And can we encourage ourselves? Because you can't do a caper if you hate. Right. See, the thing with Sulak is he loved, he loved and understood the loggers. He understood that they had to do this, you know, to feed their family, he understood their religious beliefs. He understood them and he loved them. And he worked with their sensibilities. Mm. So that's the thing. It's it, you know, it's and it's almost like you can't create an organization that will come up with, you know, sort of like, you know, consensus capers. No, it's got to be independent, decentralized capers. Right. Not from the centralized Bureau of Caper Control. But um, yeah, but play. And when you get to New York, we'll go to the Upper West Side. We'll have some bagels and we'll have some capers on those, too. It's nice. Totally. It's nice. Yeah, we'll go to (laughs) Zabos on 72nd Street and Broadway. Yeah. Sit on a bench, have a bagels and capers. Exactly. Feed the pigeons. (laughs) (laughs) Feed the the pigeon smidgens of our bagels. There you go. Oh, my gosh. I do love you, Vicky. I love you, too. I really actually love you. I come alive in your presence. It's like oh. there's a resonance. It's like it's yeah. okay to be me because I'm in the presence of a somebody who gets it. Yeah, I know. You give me permission to be me. We're free to be me and you. You free and me. me and you. <laughs> there you go. People <laughs> raised on Marlo Thomas and have lived to <laughs> live to regret it. But hey, it's all right. We played our part. And we'll continue. And we're going to keep playing. That's the thing. And thank you for being on Team Human. Our guest today was social innovator, author of Your Money or Your Life, and host of the podcast, What Could Possibly Go Right, Vicki Robin. You can find out more about Vicki and all of our guests at teamhuman.fm. Team Human is produced by Joshua Chapdelin and engineered by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.